1972, uh, a young man called uh, Bruce Jenner was at the Olympic Games. He was a decathlete, and I think he'd finished well outside the gold medals, um, probably finished 8th, ninth, or 10th. And uh, it was the, the, the Olympics was finished, and it was the celebration party for all the Olympians who had competed in the Games. And Bruce Jenner decided he wouldn't go to the party, but he decided that he would be training for the 1976 Games starting the night of the party. And so he began to train that night, and he began over the next four years to look at every single event and to work out what he needed to score in the 1500, in the shot put, in the javelin, in the high jump, and all the other events that make up the 10 events, the decathlon. He worked out what did he need to achieve at each of the events in order to become the Olympic gold medal in 1976. And he trained, he worked hard, he imagined, he visualised, he considered what it would need. And in 1976, he was crowned Olympic champion of uh, the decathlon. I want to ask the question this morning because we've set in front of us three years of goals and targets to see 40 people come to know the love and the goodness of Jesus, to see 150 breakthroughs as we go into the community and into our workplaces, into our supermarkets, and that's actually now 149, we've had a breakthrough, to see 300 happen here on a Sunday morning, we've had a shoulder healed, a world of knowledge, that's now 298. <laughs> To see a community of 200 gathered here, at least. Um, what will it take to not just have a Sunday where we're saying, yeah, yeah, we're going to go for this, but actually we can run the race that has been set in front of us and run with endurance and run in order to see those things hit not because in and of themselves those numbers give us an identity, but because Jesus is looking for a return on his investment and because he loves people and he loves his church and the church is the vehicle of the kingdom and these are the things we're hoping and trusting to see in the next three years. But what will it take to run well so that in three years' time we are not looking back on a moment in 2014 and saying, what happened to that? But actually in 2017, we're running just as hard and just as fast and believing for even more than we ever believed before. What does it take to run the race? If you want to turn your Bibles to uh, Hebrews chapter 12, because God gives the answer. God gives the answer. So Hebrews chapter 12 follows Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11 is the great Hall of Fame chapter on faith. And that chapter unpacks person after person after person who ran well, who finished the race. Some of them saw what they were hoping for. Some of them didn't. Some of them got sawn in two. Some of them saw it, got it. Abraham saw a city and without foundations. He saw it in the future. Didn't receive it in his lifetime. But they all ran with faith, endurance, 
They were like the Bruce Jenner of faith, you know, the decathlete. They saw it by faith and they ran after it and didn't quit. And then Hebrews 12 says, therefore, therefore, in other words, in light of the men and the women of church history, therefore, what's your response? In the light of the people who've run in the past, what's your response? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Those are the witnesses in chapter 11 saying, he's faithful, he's good, he, 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 he's worth running after, we're standing around you, this is your moment on earth, you're now running the race and we're cheering you on and saying, go for it. This is your moment. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin <coughs> which so easily, or, or which clings so easily, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, or other translation will say, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter or author and founder of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we just really want to, as we look at these verses, we're asking to fall in love with Jesus. Mm. We're asking that our hearts would be ruined by who Jesus is, Mm. what Jesus has done, who Jesus is for us, Mm. what Jesus has promised to do in us and through us, what the future holds because of Jesus. We say, Jesus, you really are the great battering ram. <laughs> You're the one who pulls down strongholds, pulls down walls. And we're fixing our eyes on you because we want to run this well because we feel a responsibility in the right sense of the word <clears throat> for, for many hundreds of men and women who are yet to hear good news. Amen. So, simply then, it says, looking to Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. It's like in the the school of the, the story of the Sunday school, isn't it? Where the little kid was in the Sunday school for the very first time and they, the Sunday school teacher described and says, what, what am I talking about? And they said, it's got a bushy tail, it's got whiskers and it likes to go up trees and get nuts. And the little girl said, it sounds like a squirrel. And she said, no, no, say Jesus, because that's the answer to every question. In here. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is the answer. And whether you've been on the road for 20, 30 years knowing him, or maybe you've only come to know him in the last week or months, or maybe you don't know him, Jesus Christ is the answer. Amen. Jesus Christ is the answer. And so the writer says, fix your eyes on Jesus. I think when we look at risk and faith and we look at the community and we look at wanting to do things to demonstrate and express the love of God, often this is what happens. We go out in our normal day-to-day life and as we see a situation, maybe it's an opportunity to um, tell someone about Jesus, maybe it's an opportunity to serve people, maybe it's an opportunity to do whatever, to demonstrate the kingdom, what we then do is we look inwards We see how we're feeling that day. And sometimes maybe it's been a great Sunday and we're all pumped up and we look inwards and there's some courage there. And we take the risk, we move out in faith and we do something. And then on another occasion, 
we're not feeling so great. We look inwards and the bank of courage and faith is completely empty. And that opportunity to love someone, do someone good, pray for the sick, prophesy life, serve them, acts of mercy, acts of compassion. We look inwards and think, I'm bankrupt. I've got nothing to give. And so we become overwhelmed by the facts. I don't have the resources. I can't make this happen. I can't meet this need. I'm only just surviving in my life. I don't have anything to bless the world with. Anybody else ever felt that? That bankruptcy. And then you come to church and uh, the leadership wave this in front of you and say, 40 people coming to know Jesus, yeah, 150 breakthroughs as we go, 200 people part of the church, we need to raise up mums and dads to look after them, 300 breakthroughs as we gather, and on a one week you go, yeah, and then you look in and say, I'm bankrupt. This is impossible. It is impossible, actually. As someone rightly said, Numbers 13, when they went into the land, both were right. Caleb and Joshua were right, we can go and do it. The other ten were right, we can't. They're both right. And so, you can look inwards and say, actually, I'm exhausted. I'm just about surviving. People in the room, you're just about surviving. You're just about surviving... And your goal is, if I can get through to next Sunday without sinning, that'll be a good week. (laughs) Now you're telling me to be a blessing wherever I go, and (coughs) prophesy, and pray for the sick, and share good news, and make people jealous by how much I'm enjoying God. You think, jealous of me? I'm just surviving. And we become overwhelmed by our own sense of inadequacy, fear, exhaustion. And then you think, okay, now you're saying it's a Saturday and we're going to go treasure hunting, we're going to look for God's treasure, we're going to prophesy and pray for the sick. You're saying, I'll be there. (laughs) But I'm not expecting anything because I'm starving and I'm dying but if the church puts on a program I'm a follower of Jesus I'll be there but I don't expect anything from me <laughs> it's easy to get into the rhythm of church where you just go to the next thing the next thing the next thing and then I feel more and more adrift as Jesus seems to be raising the bar of what's normal Jesus, I thought normal was I go to church and maybe I go to a midweek group and I grit my teeth so that I don't sin and then one day I get to be with you and go, and now you're saying I get to go to church, I get to be with people, I get to be with believers and Jesus is, is not to be a believer and follow Jesus and do what Jesus did, that's normal. You're having a laugh. <laughs> the writer says, fix your eyes 
on Jesus. Looking to Jesus. When you look inwards, when you look inwards and look inwards and think, do I have what it takes to go on that Saturday? Do I have what it takes to bless my community? Do I have what it takes to change the atmosphere of my office? Do I have what it takes to tell the good news about Jesus? Do I have what it takes to pray for the sick? Do I have what it takes to prophesy life? Do I have what it takes to be full of joy? When you look inwards, you always come up short. You always come up short. If you want to run the race, finish the race, don't look inwards. Don't look inwards or don't look down. Right? Keep your eyes on him. Because if you look inwards, you will come up short. You'll never feel, you will never feel you have enough faith. If you think faith is an emotion that I feel that makes me feel courageous sometimes, all we'll have as a community is the odd story every now and then when it's a really good week and we feel we've jumped through a few hoops and we're feeling we're doing all right and we'll have it every now and then. If you feel that to see 40 people come to know the love of Jesus and 150 breakthroughs as we go and 200 as part here and 300 as we gather, if you think that faith is a work, that what you do is you work really hard to generate something in your emotions that might attract his activity. That's the other way we do. So there's some of us who are so starving and so feeling so in malnutrition that we can hardly walk. And there's others who think, I can do it. And so they're working really, really hard to generate something internally of courage or faith so that they feel the bank is full so that they think it'll attract him because he'll be pleased and then he'll do something as a reward for their activity. Both are wrong. And Galatians 3 tells you that. Foolish Galatians, or in other ruder translation, who has bewitched you? Did God supply the Spirit and do works and miracles amongst you through works or by believing God? So faith is not... (coughs) A work. The answer is Jesus. Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the superior reality. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And so, you're in a situation. Someone is sick. And... They've put it on a plate for you because they've actually asked you to pray. All right? They know you're a Christian. They've heard a few, maybe a few stories. And they're sick and they want you to pray. If you look inwards, you'll look inwards and think, do I have the courage today? Do I feel this faith today? Do I feel strong today? Do I feel that I've done enough activity to attract his activity? And so you'll look inwards. And then you'll look at the problem. I don't know how that is going to get fixed. So now you're looking at your inwards and you're looking at the facts of the problem. And you're thinking, how, how does that 
How's that going to get? How's that going to get fixed? How does it work? The person's struggling in their back. So how, how does that get fixed? I know he can do colds. I've seen him do that. But how does that work? <laughs> now you're paralysed, or as one preacher says, you're in the paralysis of analysis. <laughs> You've, and this has all happened within two seconds. I'm asking you. you. We don't actually have to understand how it works. We do need to know Jesus. Mm. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus. We don't deny the facts. We're not pretending the facts are not there. But we don't have to analyse the facts to get a solution because Jesus is the solution. We don't need to understand how do jobs get provided by God. I don't know. Just that we ask for him to give jobs and jobs seem to come. We don't even understand how it works. I don't understand how a shoulder gets healed by Jesus. I don't understand how suddenly someone's got a knee problem and then the knee problem's gone and they're jumping. What happened? I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes we're trying to understand it because we think that it's all about us and how well we're doing or how strong we feel. When actually the author of Hebrews is saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of faith. We live aware of his abundance, not our inadequacy. We live aware that Jesus is the solution to the problem. We are not the solution to the problem. We don't have to understand it. So Jesus is not just the great example of someone who started a race and finished a race. The writer of Hebrews is saying he is actually the author and perfecter of trusting and believing God. And so we don't fix our eyes on Jesus and say, I'm just going to be like you, Jesus. I'm just going to fix my eyes on you so I can copy what you did. I'm fixing my eyes on you so you can produce in me the ability to trust in the Father like you trusted in the Father. I'm trusting, I'm looking to you because in your presence something gets authored that I cannot author for myself. And so my mind is not fixed upon my lack, but on your abundance. My mind is not fixed on my lack of courage, but on the fact that you're the Lion of Judah. My mind is not fixed upon, I don't understand how knees get healed, I just know that you are the healer. And so it's a shifting of where we fix our mind and where we fix our attention. Faith. Trusting in God is authored in the context of a relationship with God. It's authored and produced and perfected in the context of relationship with Jesus. If you're not in relationship with Jesus, you will not, you cannot produce faith. Okay? So if you're Looking in on Christianity and saying, I want to copy the things I hear and I see my brothers and sisters doing, but you're not in relationship with him, you can't produce it external from a relationship with Jesus. Because it's fixing our eyes on him because he's the author and perfecter of faith. Christianity is not a set of do's and don'ts, it's an invitation into into a relationship that transforms the heart, transforms the desires, so the very things that we thought we could never desire, we want to desire because we're grafted into him. I want to 
show you an illustration of this. We've got a big oak tree in our garden, which I'm sure Ian will recognise this root. There's a thing clinging, clinging to our tree. It's a weed, and it's got this huge root system. And we want to clear the, the kind of ivy thing off it so that we can get more light into our garden. And so, as a strategic move, we'll see how it works. I cut a ch- chunk out. And so you've got the root going up, and it's all green and there. And you've got the root going down into the ground. And I came with a saw and chucked the middle bit out. <laughs> so it thinks it's alive. It is not. It's waving in the, li- in, the, in the wind and it's green, but it's dying because I've actually uh, removed its ability to get any nutrients, any real water, and it doesn't know it yet. It, w- it, <laughs> it does ruin our garden. It's a weed. And uh, it does stop the sun coming in. <laughs> See, sometimes in our desire not to place legalistic motivation on you, with, in our desire not to make Christians who just go through the motions, sometimes you can easily under-emphasise the importance of being rooted into the life-giving source of who Jesus Christ is because you don't want to have people who just pick up the Bible religiously and read a few verses and think, I've appeased God because the appeasing and pleasing of God was at the cross, not in whether they read the Bible or whether they prayed But at the same time, the Bible and prayer and meditating on scripture and assembling and coming together with brothers and sisters and all these things are the roots that link us into Jesus Christ that we might gain life. I hope this is making sense. And so on one hand, we don't say the things of the, the, what we call the spiritual disciplines or a better way of saying it, the invitations of relationship with him. They don't, they're not the means by which we get into the relationship. They're the means by which we enjoy the relationship. They're the means by which we put our roots into him and we draw deeply into him. Okay. And so without any condemnation, sometimes... Sometimes people, sometimes people wonder why they don't mature or grow or become fruitful or why they go round the same staircase again and again and again in Joe's picture. And, and sometimes it's because every now and then they come to church and they get a bit of rain on them. Like that tree, it'll probably live a little while because of just rain that will go into it. But if you were to look into the life, you'd say, there's a big chunk missing. That, in some ways, the believer can blow in the wind, 
even having some leaves that look a bit green, doing the stuff. But when we're really honest with ourselves, we say, actually, I've got no life in me. There's nothing nourishing me. I'm pretending to be what I think a believer is. And so this whole Christianity is, can I keep the act up? You can't be what you don't believe you are. And so sometimes it gets exposed when the bar gets re up here and you say, we're going to bless the community. We're going to, we're going to see 300 breakthroughs. We're going to see 150 as we go. We're going to see four people come to Christ. And suddenly the, the body screams and says, I can't do it. And it forces us to look and see there's a chunk missing in my heart. I've been going through the motions, but I haven't had any life in me for years. You see, sometimes we can look at Jesus to forgive our past, and we can look at Jesus to forgive our, and secure our future, but our present fruitfulness is about the abiding in Christ and the life of Christ flowing through, as it were, the root system of our lives. If um, you had a friend who came to you and they were gaunt looking, their face had gone really thin and their muscles were wasting and they hardly had any strength, what would be the first thing that you would say to them? When was the last time you had dinner? When was the last time you had a real meal? You, you wouldn't go up to them and say, I'm just, let's analyse how food works. And uh, we talk to you about the mechanical way that the teeth grind the food, or the chemical way that nutrients get broken down in the stomach. Let's talk about that. You know, you would say, you need a good meal. You need to eat. And you need to get on a proper diet that's going to get nutrition into your body fast because dear friends you are dying because you are not eating and so when a church then says these are the things that a a strong healthy follower of Jesus does this is normal Christianity we then have to look and say actually am I actually eating I'm not saying that actually, it's okay to be terrified about the Saturday, okay? Because <laughs> that's not the same thing. Because you can be scared, but you say, I'm going to go on a journey with God. And I'm going to learn and overcome my fears. And <clears throat> but it's when we look inwards and just feel overwhelmed by exhaustion, facts, our inadequacy, our fear. And we just want to run away from the race. We have to ask ourselves... Is it because I'm just hungry? Is it just, is it just that I don't remember the last time he spoke to me through the Bible and I came alive? Is it, could it be you can't remember the last time you just were with him? I love what Katrina said, I'm about having treats with God, making time with God a treat. I can't remember the last time being with God was a treat.
Can you see this is very different from legalism? We, we eat whether we feel like it or not often because it's, it's the discipline of life. Because we know if we're losing enthusiasm, vitality and strength, we need to get chemical nutrients in our body to get strong and to be able to do the day. That's why we wake up and we break our fast and have breakfast. We just do it. And so we need to see who he is. We need to see who it is. Who he is. See, life presents two choices about where we get overwhelmed. You can choose to be overwhelmed by life or overwhelmed by Jesus. You can be overwhelmed by your circumstances and you can be, or you can be overwhelmed by Jesus. You can be overwhelmed by the problem or you can be overwhelmed by Jesus, the solution. You can be overwhelmed by your lack or you can be overwhelmed by his abundance. <coughs> and it's all about choice of where you fix your eyes. Our biggest issue is, is, is actually not in our circumstances, it's what we believe about our circumstances. It's about what we believe about our problems. That's our biggest issue. It's possible to have every one of the circumstances you are currently facing totally adjusted and altered tomorrow and actually feel no different than you do today in the middle of them. Unless you believe differently about him and about how he sees you. In fact, sometimes we're so busy with spiritual warfare, being out there and binding and loosing and shouting at that, when actually Paul says in 1 Timothy 18, this is spiritual warfare, to believe the prophecies that were spoken about you and to believe the assessments of God. Our biggest battle as a church is not that we live in a secular, pluralistic age that thinks Jesus is irrelevant. Our biggest issue as a bunch of believers is, do we believe it? (laughs) It's a belief issue. It's a belief issue. It's a belief about who he is and what he has said. Our biggest issue is believing what he says about us. Believing who we are. Believing who he's called us to be. Believing what our lives are to be in him. What he wants to do in us and through us. That's the biggest area of battle. We read you in in 2 Kings chapter 7. There's an interesting story about a city under siege. And some lepers outside the city. The city is dying because it's starving, because all of its food has been cut off by the the Syrians. And it says in chapter 7 and verse 3, Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? Sometimes we've got to ask ourselves that question. Why am I just doing the same thing again and again and again and again, expecting different results? That's actually the definition of madness. (laughs) To do the same thing again and again and expect something different to happen. That's that's, um, that's it. (laughs) 
if we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we'll die there. And if we sit here, we'll also die. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. In other words, if we stay here outside the city, we're going to die of starvation. If we go into the city, we're going to die of starvation. There's no one in the city with food. If we go to them, the enemy, maybe they'll give us something to eat, and maybe we'll live, but maybe they'll kill us. But if we stay, we'll die anyway. And so there's a sense of saying, like the prophecy about the staircase, I've got to do something different. If I just do what I've always done, I'm going to die. But if I do something I haven't done before something might happen. And so they go into the camp of the Syrians and actually God has scared them off and they've run and they've left all the food. And so the four lepers go into a tent because the enemy has run away and they start eating. And so they're full. Okay, Now they're full. Right? So this is a very different situation. They are full. And then in verse 9 they said, Then they said to one another, we're not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city. We came to the camp of the Syrians and behold there is no one to be seen or heard there. Nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household. So they've gone there, they've done something they've never done before, which is to move away from the gate. They've risked it, because they don't know how it's going to turn out. Now they've found an abundance of food. Now their bellies are full. This is good news. Now we need to go back to the city and tell the city we've found food. They're not there. Victory has been given by God. To do what he's called us to do, you've got to feast on Jesus. You've got to do something you've never done before. You've got to change something. If you're malnourished and you're dying of starvation, don't just do what you've always done. Something's got to change. If you just do what you've always done, you're going to die spiritually at the gates. If you do something you've never done before in feeding on Jesus... You're going to find food, and then you're going to go into the world and say, I can't keep this good news to myself. There's food in Jesus, and so I'm going to go and tell the world. And so suddenly, that Saturday that is still scary is about, I've got some good news. I found food. He sets a feast before me in the presence of my enemies. My belly is full. I've got to go and tell my friends, my family, my neighbour, because... God has fed me. God has met me. Can you see? Otherwise, if we're living our lives and this chunk is missing, we can't pretend to be full. We can't. You can do it legalistically, but you can't do the stuff that we're talking about if there's a chunk missing. You've got to get that chunk repaired to the life of Christ flows through you, that you're feeding on Jesus, and then get your belly full and then be overwhelmed with good news, and then bring it to people. The answer is Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. 
And how does that look? I don't know. It can look a whole variety of different ways. Find a way of tapping into Jesus. Find a watering hole. Make a watering hole. Make a way. When I taught um, in a college, I just listened to a preach going, a preach coming back. There were things that I just cre- create in whatever season of life. I've, in Denmark, we had a wonderful opportunity. I was, we shared work between us, and I was looking after a little two-year-old, a one-year-old. And they were just, just we took the pram out and talked to him on the journey and made out I was talking to Fleur, but I was really talking to him. Just create. Pretend to be on your mobile phone talking to someone, but you're talking to God. I've gone into a phone booth and pretended to ring someone, but I wanted to chat with God. I didn't want to be looking mad. I've gone out into the country. I, I do a whole host. I've got to be with you. I journal. I ask him a question. I write the question down. I wait for his answer. And then you want to hear it backed up by scripture. Find ways to feed on Jesus. In the midst of reality and busy life and family and work and commitments and school and university and studies. Be creative. Run into the toilet if you have to and say, I need you. I've got to have you. He hears the inkling of your heart. He's not that bothered about whether it was an hour, a ten minute thing, a two hour thing, how many chapters. He just wants to be with you. And he wants you to be with him. Even if it's the same verse that you look at for weeks and weeks and weeks. It's just on your mirror and you believe it and you're feeding on it and you're digging into it. And you're asking the Holy Spirit, reveal the reality of this to me. <coughs> Worshipping in the commute. Earphones plugged in with songs of worship. I had a meeting up there, I just thought, I'm going to sing on the way. It's dark and they can't see my face anyway. And I'm going to love you and worship you. I'm going to connect with you. I'm not going to worry out loud about the day. I'm just going to connect with you. You've got to find creative means and mechanisms to plug this gap so the life of God can flow in and through you. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me. So our responsibility is not to produce faith, It's not to produce fruit, just to be rooted in the soil. The sun comes on us, the moisture of heaven comes on us, the life of God and fruit appears. Fruit appears. Mm -hmm. Something we're hearing is voice. There's some life coming. An apple tree does not strain out apples by working hard. It bears fruit Because it's an apple tree. Believers invade the impossible because you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. And Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And you're in Christ and he's in you. Just as you receive Jesus as Lord, continue in him. He's the fullness of God and you're in him. So you've got fullness. Live in him, tap into him, root, be rooted in him. Can you see this is a million miles from legalism. This is about... The cross gets you in the palace. And in the palace, you get adopted and accepted freely. You didn't do anything to get in. Now you're in. Are you just going to stand in the foyer? Or are you going to say, well, there's a room here, there's a room here, the love of God. Oh, wow, wow, you get to do this. Oh, I'm going to explore that. I'm going to, this is mine, that's mine, I'm having that. I'm in freely, this is all mine. And I'm having all of it. 
I'm going to pray for the sick. I'm going to prophesy life. I'm going to share good news. I'm being filled and I'm full and I'm going to feed other people. I'm going to do what I've never done before to get what I've never had before. I'm not just going to keep going through the motions of doing what I've always done, expecting something different. Something is changing. Something's going to change. So you might say, I haven't picked up the Bible for two years. Well, there you go. That's just something that's going to change. I'm picking it up. I'm coming to the Holy Spirit, the author of it. What does that mean? What does that mean? How does that work? What does does that reveal about God? What does that reveal about the cross? What does that reveal about the finished work? I'm just going to, you pick it up. One minute. One minute. Every day. It's like a meal. We don't remember all our meals every week, do we? Just eat. And some of them really stand out. And we have those high moments, those breakthrough moments with God. Just encourage you. Access the opportunities here as well. Encourage you. Sometimes on a Wednesday night and you got back from work, you don't want to go anywhere. And you just say, do you know what, I, I, I can go. I got back in time, I can go. I'm going to put my roots in and I'm going to be with his people. I'm going to learn and grow together. Sometimes on a Sunday you think, oh, I don't know if I want to come. Seems to be so many other things that need to be done, should be done, could be done. But you decide, I'm going to come because I want to put my roots into him and be with his people. Sometimes you pick up the Bible, it's the last thing you want to do, and everything in the whole world seems more exciting. You say, I want to dig into it. Touching the world is God's idea. All he's looking for is a bunch of people who know that he's the healer, Our job is just to be so full we've got something to tell other people about. To believe is in us and to risk letting him out. Get so full, you think, I can't keep this to myself. I better go and tell the city who's starving. I found food. I found food. Make your evangelistic strategy this. I'm just going to make everybody so absolutely jealous with how much hope and joy and life I've got that they ask me where I got it. I'm just going to enjoy Jesus so much and they're going to see in me something they haven't got and they're going to be saying, where did you get that? Let's finish us with this. God, Jesus, is very comfortable with process. God is very comfortable with the idea of a journey with him. Jesus said, you can have little faith, you can have weak faith, you can have strong faith, you can have great faith. Jesus is really happy with process. He's built it into everything. We see it in a baby who learns to crawl and turn over and then learns to walk and talk. Process is everywhere. He, like an adult, doesn't worry if a toddler gets up and struggles and falls over. We just know it's a process. We know that they're going to run, but at the moment they're falling over. We don't tell them off because at two 
or 18 months they can't walk. We celebrate the process. Did you see there were two steps? Oh, they fell over. Whoa! God's like that with us. He loves process. He loves the journey. You're already accepted in the beloved. The cross has made you free of accusation and free of blemish. You stand before God perfect already. All right? Now you get a process of realising who you already are and what he's called you to be. But his position towards you is you are the beloved, you are loved, you are clean, you are free of accusation. The debt has been cancelled. Every debt you had that was leading to condemnation in Jesus has been paid, 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 paid. All of it. You do not work to pay a debt off. The debt has been paid off. You get to work. You get to be like Jesus. You get to do what Jesus did as a free gift. It's a process. Celebrate process. Don't set yourself goals that are so high that you fail and you don't keep it. Just set yourself a goal. This week, I'm going to put my roots into Jesus. I'm just going to, I don't know, you work it out. Think of what it means to you in your life. Just, I'm going to start here and I'm going to celebrate process. I'm not going to beat myself up if it doesn't look like this. But I have committed my life to fix my eyes on Jesus. That's my commitment. Because he's the author and he's the perfecter of faith. I'm going to find a way. I'm going to look for that staircase that I've never seen before to do the thing I've never done before. I invite us to stand with.